0: Well, it is very nice to be back with you this morning. I missed you greatly last week as I uh, got to worship at a church in, I'm going to try to pronounce this right, so if I'm wrong, just tell me I'm right, make me feel better, but it was in Quezon City, New Manila, in the Philippines. And suddenly, could we turn those fans off? Uh, I'm not sure who decided to turn them on, but could we turn those off or no one's going to be able to hear me? I think you'll find the switches over there. But it was a great time, and I wanted to tell you a little bit about uh, what I did. I was at the uh, with Pastor Dan Tupp's, and we joined with 7,000 other church leaders from 61 countries for a global discipleship congress. And I'm not always one that's uh, really big on conferences, because typically you just sit and you take in a ton of information. And that was the case. Thank you very much, whoever did that. Uh. Awesome. But it was a joyous time. I have pages and pages and pages of notes. It was great then to sit back and dream and think with Pastor Dan as we dreamed of what could be in the days to come and then come back and debrief the under shepherds and say, here's some things we're excited about. What do you think? And those will continue and you'll hear me speak to some of those. But this morning. We continue in our look at Deuteronomy chapter 5. Uh, by the time we're done with our Deuteronomy series in just a couple weeks, we'll have made it to chapter 8. Now I know you're looking and say, well there's a lot more to Deuteronomy to go. We'll come back to that at some other time. But as we do each summer, we're going to turn then to a character study uh, this summer looking at uh, Nehemiah. But as we look at Deuteronomy chapter 5, Pastor Harris walked us through the first two commandments last week. And this week, we're then going to look at the next two, which I think are so incredibly timely for us, the church, today. And so I'm going to read you the scripture this morning, and we'll pause, and then we'll dive right in. Deuteronomy chapter 2. Let me find it in my Bible. Chapter 5, not chapter 2. See, I'm already mixed up. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. That's in verse 11. In verse 12, Observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy as the Lord your God has commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but on the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall do not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your manservant or maidservant, nor your ox, your donkey, or any of your animals, nor the alien within your gates, so that your, ma- so that your manservant and maidservant may rest as you do. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt and that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. Lord, please... Teach us from your word this morning. Open our ears. Uh, I'll pray, as was prayed for me last week, that you would hide me and that it would only be your words this morning. That you would guide us in the meditation and the application of your word together. That we would be a church that follows where you take us. In your name I pray. Amen. I'm not sure if any of you read The New Yorker, but they're known to have comics that for the most part are kind of confusing unless you're an elite few that makes sense. Well, one time they put a comic in that was quite famous and it showed an American couple running up the steps of the Louvre, the famous art museum in Paris. And they were shouting, where's the Mona Lisa? We're double parked. Now, the point is, should anyone ever rush through the Louvre? one of the greatest collections of art in all the world. No. To take in the art that is found in some place like the Louvre, specifically the Mona Lisa, you've got to slow down. You've got to look intently at what's before you. You've got to enjoy the painter the most minute brush strokes, the things that I don't even understand. I could take some of you and you would explain the works that went on in ways that I was like, wow, I never noticed that before. But then I think about us, and I think physically, emotionally, mentally, spiritually, we often tend to be double parked, don't we? We tend to rush our ways through life. And Sunday morning worship together what some of us dare call a Sabbath is just a microcosm explanation of that same thing. We rush in at the last minute, we get out at the last possible or get out at the first possible second to move on to whatever we've scheduled next. And while we're here, we're making lists of all the other things that need to go on. Or is that just me? Something tells me I'm not the only one that may wrestle with that at times. We get so uptight. Allowing the schedule to be our master. That we miss the masterpiece of fellowship, worshiping our God and King together. And there's a reason, I believe, that God put the commandments, one, in the order He did. And two, that He tied them together like I believe He has here. Because He's teaching us great things about who He is, which we heard from Pastor Eris last week. That God is our God, the one true God. And then this week, as we look at the third commandment, we're told this. We're told, you shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. The Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses His name. Now, if I were to ask most of us what this commandment means... Most of us say we're not supposed to swear, right? That's kind of the common interpretation. We, it's about our words. Oh, it's so much more than that. It is so much bigger. You've heard me talk about this a bit in, in other sermons, so I don't want to spend too long here, but we must not miss the heart of this commandment. One commentator says it like this, He says it's not primarily about speech here. It's probably not about speech at all, is what he says. He says, except by implication. It is about God's reputation, God's name. Israel was to behave in such a way that they must never tarnish the very name of God. They must never smear the reputation of their God and king. There was a reason that Israel had been chosen by God to be his people set apart. It wasn't that God was simply playing favorites. It was that God was setting apart the nation of Israel to be his representatives. That This pagan world they lived in would see God through the people of Israel And begin to think that's the one true God. Because God is in the habit of using people to point others to Himself. He doesn't need us, but He chooses to use us. He invites us into fellowship with Him. And for Israel, the commands were very clear. You're carrying the name of God as His chosen people. So what are your lives, people of Israel, telling him, telling others about God? That was the heart of the commandments. When you think about it like that, it's an awful lot bigger than words. There's been books written all the time with names like, I like Jesus, but not the church, or... Uh, All sorts of lists that basically say the church has tarnished the name of God. And when you wrap in to the new covenant of which we find ourselves today, we have been adopted as sons and daughters of the Most High God. We've talked about that. And we are a royal priesthood set apart for the Lord. So that means, by logical conclusion, we too carry the name of the Lord with us in every area of our lives. Did you hear me say that? In every area of our lives. So what if I did this? What if instead of doing the comfortable thing and asking you, you know, tell me about your life and what others might, or or what you think and, and what you struggle with, what if I went to your places of work and asked other people to tell me about you? Now, some of them might say you're really, really nice. Some of them might say you're less so. Some of them I might hear, "Man, that person loves the Lord and they won't shut up about him." Others of you may be known as a person that can't work well with others. But we can often find out far more if we invite others to tell a little bit about our reputation, right? What if I dared ask a follow-up question to your co-workers, to your friends? Tell me about that person's relationship with God from what you've observed. What do you think they'd say? You think they'd say, well, they know the right answers, but I don't see it consistently in their life? Or do you think they'd say, wow, I just can't get enough of being around them because when I'm around them, I feel the love of God in their life, and I want that. It's my prayer for all of us as a church that we so passionately and well carry the name of the Lord with us that people want to be around us. I'm not that concerned with you knowing this if you won't live it out. You with me? If we are not committed to knowing and living and then carrying out the name of the Lord, we've missed the boat. The church I was at last week... I was talking to Pastor Benji. Benji has become a friend, and I I love the man. He has this tremendous shepherd's heart. And we were talking about some of the uniqueness of pastoring a church like AIC. And then I was on a conference call back to the States with another friend that was asking me. They're looking for a pastor to fill a Chinese congregation pulpit in the States. And he was asking for some insight into that. And he said, and both said to me, it must be intimidating at times to preach at a church like AIC. And I said, well, what do you mean? He said, because they're all smarter than you. And I said, yeah. That's very intimidating. And I look around and you've got doctorates, you've got patents, you've invented stuff. You're going to the best schools in the world. And I'm Mike. And I am exactly where God called me to be. Praise the Lord, I know that, because otherwise I'd be terrified. Now I'm only terrified of making sure that we handle the word of God well. That's a good fear. But the point is, when they were saying that, they, one guy asked, well, well, what do you do? And I said, well, for me, the, the, the key element is, one, to spend a lot of time in the word myself, but two, make my calling and election sure. I know that God is my father and my king. And while I am not perfect and have more flaws than I'd like to admit, he will guide my steps. And he will guide my path. And I will do everything in my power in any situation to carry his name as well as I possibly can. Empowered by the Holy Spirit. It is my long desire to carry him in every situation. I had an instance this week where we're blessed with this pool at our complex. And there's only ten houses in our complex. And how it works is we don't actually have to pay directly to use the pool. You don't pay every time. But... The thing is, and and don't misunderstand what I'm saying here, if you'd like to come use our pool, talk to me, we'd love to make it work. But we also have neighbors, right? And we are committed to introducing them to Jesus. We've not had a lot of opportunities, but we're sure trying. And we know all of our neighbors by name. And we want so much to make sure they know we respect them. And so sometimes a lot of people want to come over at one time and use the pool. I don't think they really want to be around us, they just want free swimming where there's nobody there. And, and I thought about that, and I was thinking, well, how do we handle that? And I was talking to Melissa the other day, and I said, it, it goes like this. We want to be welcoming to everyone, but we also have to remember we're a testimony to the other incorporated owners of the complex we live in. And we want to make sure they know that we care about their opportunities to use the pool, which they don't use. But we want to make sure we're a good testimony, even in that little thing. And to me, it's like, that's a dumb thing to care about. But yet in the world we live in, we can find all sorts of stuff to nitpick and find fault with each other, right? So if you've got something written down, why not follow it? In the same way, God invites us to not misuse his name in any area of life. He doesn't need us to protect his reputation. He's God, but he invites us to. As a royal priesthood, how do we carry his name? My full name is Michael Richard Rose. But in eternity speak, my name is a son of God. Not the son of God, please don't misunderstand. An adopted son of the most high God. I want and I want to join with you in seeking the Lord with all of my heart, soul, mind and strength and inviting others to do the same. Can we do that? I pray that we can. I pray that we will carry his name with us so well that others see him and us and rejoice and say, i got to get me some of that Jesus. That is my prayer. The amazing thing on Friday at the conference I was in was the security was very different. In the Philippines, I learned that whenever you go into a building, you have someone check your bag and things, and I guess that's to keep us safe, and so it's reassuring and inconvenient for me because I don't carry knives and guns. But anyway, on this particular day, they actually looked in our bags, and they stopped. And I watched the conference go on throughout that day, and there were just things were a little off. There were awfully large Filipino men walking around this church. Not just like overweight men, like bodyguard, bodybuilder type men. And then we realized later on why. Because they said, now, we need everybody, all 7,000 of you, to sit down and stay put. Okay. Why? Because the President of the Philippines, President Benigno Aquino, is on his way and will be speaking directly to you in just a few minutes. Okay, I'm an American and I'm pretty sure President Obama is never going to show up at a global discipleship conference to talk to us. It would be too politically incorrect. I'm not making any comment about his spiritual relationships with with the Lord. That's for you to discern. It's for the Lord to judge, though. But what I was amazed with is President Aquino got up there and he talked about his dad. And I hadn't put two and two together and who his dad was until I got back to the airport, which is named Nino Aquino Airport. His dad, who had been assassinated at that airport. And I got up and I listened to this man. And again, I can't speak to where he's at in his relationship with the Lord. I believe he grew up in a Roman Catholic family. But he said this and it struck me to the heart. He prayed for the people. Again, I I don't know where his heart is at with the Lord, but he prayed a couple of things. One, that we would expand the kingdom of God wherever we go. And two, that we would do so with integrity and purity of heart. And he prayed that for 7,000 pastors and teachers when he's the president of a country seeking to carry not just the name of his dad well, but the name of his very country. And I wonder, for us, remember, our citizenship is in heaven. Our citizenship isn't in Hong Kong, isn't in China, isn't in the Philippines or America or any other country. Our citizenship is in heaven for those who know Christ. Do we seek to carry his name proudly, letting others know who we are in Christ? And that's why I love what the next commandment says. Because it goes right in. It says, okay, carry my name well. And then this. Observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy as the Lord your God has commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. Neither you, nor your son or daughter, nor your manservant or maidservant, nor your ox, your donkey, or any of your animals, nor the alien within your gates, so that your manservant and maidservant may rest as you do. I want to break here, and then we'll come back and we'll finish up the thought of the rest of that commandment. But notice where they start. Observe the Sabbath by keeping it holy as the Lord has commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. Where do we get that idea from? Well, from our very God, the creator of the heavens and earth. On the seventh day, he rested. Now, does God actually need rest? No. Psalm 121 tells us that he who watches over us will neither slumber nor sleep. Correct? So, if he doesn't need rest, why rest? You think maybe he's trying to teach his people something? About priorities, about our attention, about following the example of God himself? Yes, I do. God showed very clearly, yes, man, because of sin, and this was actually given even before sin had changed the dynamic in the relationship, but man will work, but on the seventh day, man needs to rest. On the Sabbath day, you keep it holy By resting and by turning your attention. See, it says keep it holy. It doesn't just say rest. It doesn't just say lay in bed all day or out at my pool. It says keep the day holy. And then it goes on. And God tells us, you shall not do any work. Okay, we got that. We understand that. And we interpret that very differently. We'll talk more. Neither you, nor your son, nor daughter, nor your manservant or maidservant, your ox, your donkey, or any of your animals. Why in the world does it matter that our animals can't work? Now, none of us that I know of are actually farmers here in Hong Kong. But maybe you've had an animal at one point that does some work for you. Why in the world are we supposed to rest them on the Sabbath? I don't get that. Nor the alien within your gates, so that your manservant and maidservants may rest as you do. Now, let's back up. First, Israel are the chosen people of God, correct? They were to be an example to the rest of the pagan, unbelieving world all around them of showing them who God is, correct? Second, God tells the people of Israel to rest on the Sabbath day and keep it holy, keep the attention on the Lord. Third, not your servants. They're to rest as well. There's a famous restaurant in America that's been in the news lately uh, protesting something else, saying they they oppose another issue. But for years, from the moment they were founded, this restaurant, Chick-fil-A, is not open on Sundays. Why? Because the founder, Truett Cathy, is a Christian and believes that he wants all of his employees to be guaranteed to have Sunday off, so he doesn't let them work. It's one way to do it. He knows that it costs him money, And people that like Chick-fil-A are fiercely loyal to Chick-fil-A. Right, Melissa? I don't get it. It's not that good. But that's just me. Sorry. But on that seventh day, you shall not eat Chick-fil-A. No. On the seventh day, everyone is to rest. And he goes on and he says, Nor the alien within your gates. Some of us do not live here in Hong Kong as a native homeland. We live here. We might even be permanent residents, but we're from another country. That, therefore, officially makes us an alien. Right? I know. I look funny. But my point is simple. God said animals don't work because if animals are still to be working, are you and I going to go do it or are we going to make our maidservants or manservants? I don't have a maidservant or a manservant. But what about those we do? Have charge over. Do we expect them to do something that we don't want to do? Maybe the people of Israel wanted to observe the Sabbath, but they then just made other people work harder. And so, what God is doing is showing that the Sabbath here is for all people. Even the slaves that were present in that time were to rest and remember the Lord is their God. Let me ask you about your homes. Are you teaching this principle? It can look different, and we're going to progress our way through how Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath, but are you teaching your very people to rest and order their lives around the centrality of God in every area of life? If you have workers that work with you, if you're an employer, what kind of yoke are your employees forced to carry? Working hard is a biblical concept, but so is fair treatment of those who work. That's part of the Sabbath. The Sabbath was to be for all people, not just God's chosen few. What about you that have to work hard? Are you then adding by working extra on the Sabbath? Maybe you've got one day off, but then you pick up some side employment on the side because you need that extra. Have you kept the Sabbath holy? Or if you said, God can't provide all my needs according to his glorious riches. You see what happens? We can easily turn a practice of honoring God with our life into a lack of faith that says, well, I've got to do this. What about this? What if I asked another question? Are you modeling a balance between work and life and setting apart a day or time for the Lord? In this time, they practiced the Sabbath on the Sunday, but now we practice or on a Saturday. Now we practice on a Sunday. Anybody know why? What day did Jesus Christ rise from the grave? He rose on a Sunday. So we switched in the, the Christian church and we observed the Sabbath on a Sunday, but it's so much more than simply stopping work. It's about pointing us and others into a posture of being about the Lord's business. And we're going to look at what that meant. But when it comes to the very model of behavior we're looking at, what do we do with our kids? We're going to look in a couple weeks at Deuteronomy 6, the Shema, the, the family method. But in the Old Testament, when people practiced the Shabbat, the, the Sabbath, this practice we're talking about, it was a family affair. They would get together, and the best parts of the Sabbath weren't that it wasn't just rest. It was a celebration of who God is, what he provided, and that we could be together enjoying it. So what do we do with that today, church? Well, I think we should enjoy fellowship. Not all of us have our immediate families here with us. And you've heard me say this hundreds of times. You're my family, so let's enjoy today together. Let's fellowship one with another. Let's ask, how are we growing in the Lord? And let's not so schedule our day that we can't just enjoy relationship with God and with one another. Or are you off to run your kids to the next tutoring session they have? Too busy. I don't have time for the Lord. Can't stop to see the Mona Lisa. I got too many other things going on. Hmm. What does that teach our kids? if we can't pause and enjoy relationship and fellowship together, pointing to the Lord God himself. It helps us develop a rhythm in life that others see and begins to feel the balance. You'll talk to people that feel frantically out of balance all the time, whether it's a a banker at work, whether it's a mom that can't keep up with the kids, whether it's a teacher that's got to grade every paper known to man in the next three weeks, whatever the example, whether it's a helper that the expectations upon them are so heavy, there's no way. And I wonder if we're almost too busy not to rest. I wonder if we so order our lives that we've ordered God Right out of them, that we know the right answers but can't practice time with Him and with the church He's given us. Interestingly, part of that Sabbath is the rest that God gave from bondage. For the people of Israel, He delivered them out of slavery. They were at peace. They were free from the bondage of slavery. Well, what does that translate to us today? We are free from the bondage of sin, those who are in Christ Jesus. Thank you. Amen. We've been set free. The Sabbath should be this joyous celebration, just as communion, that we've been set free, and we remember that weekly to pause and say, Oh, Lord, thank you so much. I'm free. It was intended to be a blessing, to recharge us, to get us into a sacred rhythm with Him who created us, who's redeemed us, and who's saved us. And then Jesus adds even more. He tells us, as He's talking to the Pharisees in Matthew 12, they're criticizing first the disciples because they picked some grain and ate it on the Sabbath day. And according to the law, that wasn't supposed to be the law they had added. That wasn't supposed to be. And he makes the point here that perspective is everything. God had given the Sabbath for the people. Not as a way to enslave them, but to help free them. I tell you that one greater than the temple is here. Jesus dared look at those people he was talking to and say just as he'd referred that David had gone on to the temple and eaten food that was consecrated only for the priests, David and his men before he was king had eaten that same food and the priests had willingly gave it. And that was seen as acceptable. What it meant was it was teaching that the Sabbath was more than just rigid observance of a law. It was about the people of God. And Jesus is teaching us that the Son of Man is the Lord Of the Sabbath. People matter more than things. People matter more than our schedules. And more than our agendas. And Jesus took the time to get away and rest. And Jesus took the time to sit down and talk with people. And Jesus dared heal somebody. Do common good on the Sabbath. How dare he? but He loved enough that He would serve His fellow man even on the Sabbath. And in so teaching, teach us that the Sabbath isn't just about a rigid practice of rules. It's about an engagement of relationship with God the Father and with one another. And the Sabbath is a relational idea for us today. How do I know this to be true? Well, if you flipped back just a little bit, you come to Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30. And you read this. Okay, so far we've learned that God is holy and must be spoken of and represented and revered as such. He's our creator and he took a day off to model that to us that he was pleased with his creation and we should be pleased with him. He used the observance of the Sabbath to remind Israel they had been slaves and that all people matter. And then Christ our King reminded us that he indeed is Lord of the Sabbath. He and his people are more important than tasks and strict observance. The heart of the gospel, the heart of the law is about people and relationship. The Pharisees had missed this. And now he speaks of ordering our very lives around the centrality of Christ, we like to say in the CMA. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I was so convicted of this yesterday. If you are a Facebook friend of mine, You saw my status last night was, I thought, quite witty, by the way. I was flummoxed, flabbergasted, and flustered. If you know what those words mean, it means I didn't have a good night. Because first, I had managed to double book myself. I was supposed to be with my family at two separate places in two very different locations at the same exact time. That's not good. And I don't like when I make that mistake. That's why I keep a calendar. It helps when you put the date on the right month. So on July 1st, I will happily show up somewhere that I'm not supposed to be because I think that's when I'm supposed to be there. Anyway, we got then to the place, the surprise party we were supposed to be at with part of the food that was supposed to be delivered at 7 o'clock, right on time, right when we were supposed to be there. One problem. There were all these empty parking spots, but they would not allow us to park. This is a problem because... The guest, the surprise guest of honor, is coming soon. And if we don't get up there and deliver this food, the party could, uh, the, f- the food wasn't going to be ruined. But if they saw us waiting outside as he's delivered, this could be a problem the surprise is ruined before it starts. So after some fierce negotiations, we realized that we were not going to win. And so we were invited not to park there and to leave. So we at least allowed, or at least talked to the guards into allowing us to let me run upstairs, drop off the thing, that, the food that I was supposed to deliver, and say, I'm so sorry, but I'm, we're not allowed to stay because there's no parking for us. And they said, why? I said, I don't know. It doesn't work. Don't worry about it. And I was frustrated. I was angry because it took me ten minutes to get through all these doors to get in. You know, the security here is great. Normally it's a good thing, except when I'm frantically in a rush. And they didn't seem to understand that. And so I delivered it. I disappointed people, and I already disappointed one family. Now I disappointed another, and I hate that. And I got home, had a piece of pizza, because that makes me feel better. And I went outside to start looking at my message on rest, on how I carry the name of the Lord. And I didn't yell at anybody. There was no point. I wasn't going to win. I already knew that. But in my heart, I was troubled. And I was angry, and I was flustered, flabbergasted. And one other one that I don't remember what I said. Frustrated, but that wasn't it either. I should have used that one. And I got home, and I went out under my rooftop. And I tried to read the scriptures, but I was still, this didn't have to happen. Why did this, grumbling? And I looked up. And I never see stars in Hong Kong, ever. Ever. The most I've ever seen, I counted, was 12. And I don't know if you happened to look up last night, but I saw hundreds. And I was so convicted instantly that tears came down my eyes because the very thing I was supposed to preach on today, I couldn't do. I couldn't rest in my Lord. Yes, I disappointed some people. I did the best I could with the situation of what had been presented me. But in that, I was frustrated, and I was weary, and I couldn't give that to the Lord and say, this isn't worth the worry I'm giving it. I'm not adding to my life right now by worrying about disappointing all these people. They've both forgiven me. They were actually quite gracious, much more than I'm being with myself and with others. I wasn't enjoying the grace that has been so given to me because I thought I had to fix it and control it. And in that moment, I looked up to the stars. And I was reminded, where does my help come from? My help comes from the maker of heaven and earth. He who watches over we will neither slumber nor sleep. And then I reopened my Bible and I read, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden or burdened, and I will give you rest. There is nothing, whether it's so insignificant as missing one party and double booking another, Or the loss of a loved one, or the disappointment at work, or the maltreatment from a loved one, or a co worker, or an employer. There is nothing in life that Jesus Christ cannot carry on our behalf. There is nothing in our lives that Jesus Christ can't take and carry it himself and say, It's mine. My burden is light. My yoke is easy. You know what a yoke is. It's how the oxen were strapped together to move in the right direction. And and Jesus tells us, mine is easy. The question for us today as we finish, is, is He enough? When you look at the very idea of the Sabbath, when you look at the idea of a Sabbath rest for God's people, we're promised that we can rest in Him right now. And as Hebrews tells us, we will rest in Him for all eternity. How great is that? I won't even need a nap because I'll be rested. But much more than that, I'll be eternally in perfection with God, my King, and worshiping Him for all time. But while we're on earth, I can rest in peace here. Not dead. Dead to sin. Alive in Christ. Knowing that God has my life just the way He ordered it. And if I am weary, and if I am heavy burdened, He can carry it and I need to stop taking it myself. So the question for me last night and the question for all of us today is, is he enough? Can you rest in him? Will you rest in him? Hannah, one of my old interns, and I used to talk a lot about this word sufficiency. She'd always want to have everything figured out. And I relate to that, I do too. And in the end, I wondered and I asked her aloud, I said, Hannah, is Christ really enough or do you just say he is? There's a big difference. Can we rest in him? We're going to move down to the communion table. And as we sing a a song of reflection, I want to leave you with a couple of questions. The first question is how do we carry the name of the Lord? As we prepare, the Apostle Paul tells us that man ought to examine his heart before partaking of the elements. And so I want us to ask that question very honestly of ourselves. And I want us to pause for just a couple of minutes and do so. How are we carrying the name of God with us wherever we go? The second question that follows is, have we learned to rest in him are our lives every area of our lives both internal and external ordered around the centrality of christ is every ounce of our being and our life resting in him or are we telling him i got this i don't need you i'm going to invite the worship team to come and, and lead us in a song as we prepare But ask those questions. How am I carrying the name of the Lord? And is Jesus Christ really enough in my life? Have I yielded myself to him? Let's pray together. Lord, may our response to your commands be one of wholehearted devotion to you. Let us carry your name well. Let us rest in your Son in every moment of life.